Welcome to OOO, an out of ordinary podcast where we dig deep into case studies and the nitty gritty of Web3 marketing. You'll find here all the amazing people that are building Web3. So stick to us as we address their marketing secrets and learn how to build amazing products and brands. Hello everyone, I'm Alex, your fellow Web3 marketer and a host on our Ordinary podcast. This is episode 42. If you've been following me on LinkedIn or Twitter, you know I love to introduce you to new tools, resources or anything you may find useful. So I think I'll start to do this more often on the pod as well. Please let me know in the comments of this episode if you would like that. Today, I want to introduce you to Dealfront. Now, we all know that getting through the decision makers can be a daunting experience. But picture this. A tool that doesn't only promise, but delivers. Imagine if your sales team and marketing team could target ideal fit leads and close deals all within a single platform. And maybe the best option you have right now is Dealfront. So what sets it apart? Its revenue engine is fueled by live European data in multiple languages, providing you with insights and access that other tools simply can't match. No more struggling to find the right decision makers. With Dealfront, it's as easy as few clicks. Now here's the magic. It's basically a revenue development engine that combines three stages. Discover, qualify, convert, and harnesses them to automatically optimize your sales process through GDPR compliant data. Don't worry about compliance, as Dealfront meets Europe's strict standards, which we all know is very important. Ensuring GDPR compliance, many competitors cannot match. Want to see if this can actually be a game changer for your leads and deals? Well, you can grab a free demo today at dealfront.com. That's D-E-A-L-F-R-O-N-T.com. I mean, don't miss on the future of successful deal making with Dealfront. And if you like it as well, please let me know. A link of the, to the website for an easier search will be available in the description of this episode. Before I introduce you to my new speaker, I also want to let you know that you can support the show both on Patreon and Unisub with donations in fiat or crypto. You can donate as little as $5 and still have a huge impact. I've been running this podcast by myself for almost a year and I really appreciate you all for helping it grow and now more than ever, I need this. If you want to help me bring more founders and more amazing marketers on the pod and basically transform this podcast into your go-to resource when it comes to anything marketing related, you can find a link to both Patreon and Unisoap in the description of this episode. Thank you so much in advance. Now, without further ado, let me introduce you to my guest. Matthew Sweezy was the co-founder at Salesforce Web3 Studio and helped create and launch their first enterprise Web3 products. He's now Chief Strategy Officer at Smart Token Labs, where they're launching a new project called Smart Layer and have built a community of over 2 million people in the past few months, created the first game on Polygon and put over 1 million transactions on chain in the past 30 days. Hi Matthew, how are you? I'm good, glad to be here. Me too. I'm so excited um, because um, I feel like I've been trying to find really good topics for, for my audience and I was just actually looking at my uh, Spotify wrap today and I saw the number one episode was something related to numbers. So I think like we're, we're kind of closing this year in a, in a great fashion with you as a speaker. So I'm really happy to have you here. Um, to kind of kick it off, uh, would you like to introduce yourself a bit and tell us more about like how you got into F3? Sure. My name is Matthew Sweezy. Most people just call me Sweezy, so feel free. Um, I'm the chief strategy officer at a company called Smart Token Labs, and we are the team behind ERC 5169 uh, in a project called Smart Layer. 
Uh, and prior to joining SmartLayer as Chief Strategy Officer, I co-founded the Web3 Studio at Salesforce and had been at Salesforce uh, in the family for about like 15 years. We uh, built a startup called, that created what was called marketing automation, a company called Pardot, if your uh, audience is familiar, and we sold that to Salesforce and then uh, focused on lots of future forward initiatives and uh, ended up focusing on Web3 with them and working with the world's largest brands and helping them build their first um, Web3 products they take to market. So. Uh, and how did you get into Web3? Was it uh, through Salesforce? No, it was through one of my best buddies. Uh, he was a trader and he got into NFTs because all of his buddies were getting into NFTs. And I'd known about blockchain for a very long time. Uh, however, I didn't see how blockchain... My focus was always how does technology change the relationship between a consumer and a brand? It's always been my focus. And I didn't see how blockchain directly did that. When I saw NFTs and I started to see this is a new engagement methodology, then I started to see how it can start to change the relationship with brands. And that's when I began to, began to get interested. So it was the NFT craze of like 2021 uh, that kind of got me into this. Um, and it was through my buddy. I just showed me NFTs and um, you know, we put a little fun together and bought some NFTs and lost some money, but had some fun. Uh, and that's what got me here. I'm actually happy that I'm finding somebody that uh, hasn't been in uh, in Web 34 or like in crypto for the last 10 years because I feel like lately all I'm everybody that I'm meeting is has either been there in life for like forever or like since 2017 like almost absolutely everybody I've been speaking to the last two months. Mm. So I'm happy to to kind of have somebody uh, more on this side. Um, could you maybe share a bit more about the transition from um, Salesforce to um, to Smart Token Labs? Um, sure. How did it happen and uh, what's your current role now? Yeah, so how it happened was when I was working at Salesforce, uh, working with the world's largest brands, they, they all had three clear issues of why they wouldn't move forward with Web3. Uh, issue one was user experience. Issue two was they didn't want to put their customer data uh, in a public database. They didn't want essentially their competitors to vampire attack. Uh, and three, this is the legal regulations of creating tokens. It's still a very unclear thing of like what happens if they create a token based on regulation. And so for those three reasons, I believe that Web3 was a thing that all brands needed to be able to do, but there needed to be ways that they can engage in this world without having to uh, face any of those major hurdles. And so when you look at it, there's a very easy way for all brands to enter Web3 without having to face any of those hurdles. And it's they don't have to create a token. They simply need to be able to recognize tokens and create utility for those tokens that exist. And so that sent me down a path of trying to find a piece of technology that would allow brands to easily recognize tokens in a Web2 world, to easily drive personalization based off tokens they didn't create, so they could then allow their Web3 users to come in and engage in their world without having to have any of those hurdles. They're not putting customer data on a database, in a public database. They are not creating tokens. Um, and so they didn't have any of those UX issues as well. So going down that path, they came across Smart Token Labs and a product they had built, which allowed any Web2 brand to automatically personalize the sites based off of any existing tokens that a user may have. And so with that, uh, that kind of got me introduced into the Smart Token Labs team. And then about February of last year, they asked me to come down and do a project for them. So I were, started working with them on a project. Um, and then they asked me to come on full-time as Chief Strategy Officer to help them uh, take that technology forward. What is your role as a Chief uh, Strategy Officer? 
Yeah, so I work on a very, I work on a wide range of things, whether that be on figuring out what is the future product roadmap going to look like, to working with some of our large customers, to helping, you know, do a lot of public speaking, writing public narratives, uh, figuring out kind of how we're going to navigate the next steps. Uh, so it's a wide range of everything from uh, product business development to, um, you know, thought leadership to, to a kind of combination of those three. Um, one of the things that actually drew my attention and that's kind of how we connected was a post that you made on LinkedIn saying that you got to, I know I've been like messing up the numbers, but I think I got it right now. It's like 2 million users in four months. Did yeah. I get it right? You got it right. Yeah, cool. Um, so my audience, when I told them about it, they kind of went crazy. They've been asking all sorts of questions. So like, I would love us to, to dig more, to dig a bit more into how this campaign went, um, and to, to talk about like the, uh, the nitty gritty side of things, let's say. Sure. Uh, so let's just start off with kind of the, the basics. So our CEO gave us a task and he said, listen, we want to have 500,000 users in 90 days. Um, and to me and my CMO, that's a pretty impossible task um, to get 500,000 users of anything in a short amount of time. Um, and so what we did is we looked around the market and we said, well, what are people doing? What works in this world? And we realized that this concept of questing is, is very popular uh, of how we can gain and attract users. So we decided to go through a questing campaign. We also looked at what exists in questing campaigns and what, where they fail and where they fall off. And so we have our own technology that we built our own questing platform and solution with. We didn't use an off-the-shelf off solution, nor did we use any of the actual questing solutions. We never put a quest on Layer 3 or, or I never did a quest on Questin or any of these other platforms. We did it all natively. Um, and somehow the, the market automatically found out about it and went wild with it. We didn't put any dollars behind it. Uh, we didn't pay any influencers. Um, you know, we... It was a fully organic thing based on two concepts. One was someone found our questing. Uh, they found our, our site and found our questing. And then they engaged. Now, the reason they engaged and the reason they did all these things is what's important. Um, you can't just put up a quest and expect people to do the quest. So people you know, ask us, like, why was this so successful? And to date, I think we've got 2.5 million people in that community um, so we've now, you know, created over two and a half million users because everyone that joins our community is using our technology. Um, they're using our technology. So there's a couple of key things here that, that make this work really well. Number one is the user experience. So most things in this Quest world and the Web3 world are going to be based on you having to connect with a wallet and you having to do all these different activities. We don't require anybody to start with a Web3 identity. You can start with a Web2 identity and you get what we call as a smart pass. And that smart pass is a piece of Web3 technology that we created called an attestation. And that is a Web3 token technology. It's using a private and public key pair, but it's stored in your local browser and in your email address, or excuse me, in your email inbox. So anyone can join. There's no friction for anybody, um, so it's super easy to join. Two was we then had a very specific type of quest mentality. What we learned was if you put up quests, People will go through those quests and do all of them all at once, and then they'll leave and they'll never come back. So you have to have a system of how do I keep people constantly engaged? And then how do I keep those people constantly engaged? And we call it an omni-channel format. So if you put all of your quests in a few places, those people will go there, they'll do those things, and they'll never come back. And so what we needed to do was we wanted to have very specific actions that drove flywheel effects. So if I had somebody do an action 
there was very specific reasons for me doing that action. Uh, and most of the time those were flywheel effects. So that means that they are tweeting something, they are retweeting something, they are creating something, they are doing something, inviting a friend, like there are very specific actions to make that flywheel turn. Uh, and then the, the next part is to make sure those actions are spread out in multiple different places. And then they can then be micro and macro. So macro being you go to, you know, if you go to smartlayer.network right now and you go and you get a pass, you can then go to the quest and you see all the quests. And we call these macro quests. I think there's seven of them on our on our website. You know, one is, you know, follow us. Um, the next is tweet this, the next is join Discord. Uh, and there's, you know, keeps going on down. There's about seven of those actions. Most people do those actions instantaneously. And each of those times you do those things, you earn points. Now, what you need to do next is you need to realize that people will continually engage with you if you have new methods of engaging points. So you need to have a new method that they can earn points on a very, we do it multi-daily basis to keep people constantly engaged in earning points. What you will learn is that if you have a, a project, and I'll take two steps back. The reason people even wanted to engage with our project in the first place is that there was a lot of trust behind our project. So people, you know, people that are going to do quests have they're, they're real people and they have time and they're only going to invest that time if they think there's going to be a significant return for that investment of time. And so we'd spent, I mean, we've been building since 2017. So we have a long history of building. We've worked with some of the world's largest car brands. We've worked with some of the world's largest fragrance brands. We work with some of the world's largest sports brands. And so we have a track record of this is a trusted brand. This is a trusted company. Then if you look at our executive team, our executive team is ex-Salesforce, ex-Meta, ex-Uber. There's, there's a large layer of trust that people believe in our project, not only because of how long we've been building. We've created ERCs, uh, multiple ERCs, and so there's a lot of trust behind our project. So people believe that our project will deliver and that we are real people and we're not just going to run away. So that helps start the flywheel. And then you have these micro flywheels. So if you join Discord, we then have the ability to earn points in all different types of ways inside of Discord, whether that be playing games with us every Friday, whether that be being nice to somebody else, whether that be helping us on a support ticket. There's tons of different ways, and we call those micros. And so we have a combination of macros, which are the main quests on the main page, and then all the way throughout every digital channel we have, we have different ways of earning points. Um, for that. And so when you can start to earn those points daily in multiple different ways, that's then how you keep people engaged. Uh, and that then created the flywheel effect. And so now, you know, I think at the time of that post, we had, you know, reached a little over 500,000 and now we're at two, a little over two and a half million um, from that community. And that community is extremely important for us. I mean, they, they have, um, we released an NFT as a reward to all of them. And they minted out over 900,000 of those NFTs. It was a free NFT. So it was a free mint. But now what we've done is we've unlocked a game through that NFT, created the first X NFT on Polygon. And now that NFT has already generated over a million transactions on Polygon Network in the last 20 days. So it's not just that these people, like, I wanna take one step back. Our numbers are so good, people don't believe our numbers are real, right? So like when we are talking to different listings and different, um, different types of VCs and different folks, they don't believe that our numbers are real. And so that NFT game, being able to prove that there's 40,000 unique active wallets engaging on a daily basis, putting over a million transactions on Polygon, just really just shut everybody up and said, okay, these numbers are real. These are real people. Um, but so like, that's how we did it. It was a combination of making it very easy, 
separating macro quests from micro quests, making sure they happen on all the different channels, making sure that there's new ways to earn points on a daily basis so people continuously come back and engage, and then make sure anytime we ask somebody to do something that there is a very specific reason and that it creates a flywheel effect somewhere in that funnel for us. Um, I'm actually happy that you you brought a couple of things up because now I want to ask you a, a bit more about like um, uh, or to explain a bit more uh, some of the things that you just mentioned. First of all, why would why why was this number the challenge like 500k you said initially, mm -hmm. and why 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 that number? Yeah, our CEO just gave it to us. Okay, <laughs> no, I thought like maybe it was important for him for like an from an investor perspective from a. I don't know. I think what he saw was just when you look across the market, if you have that, that's a significant user base. And if you can create that user base, that then puts you in a very specific echelon of companies that have that size of user base. And so I think that was just a, a number that he came up with that allowed us to show that we have significant traction. Um, okay. The second question I have was like, was regarding like the initial strategy you had in mind and you knew you cannot move forward without, um, I know you said that you didn't want to go to platforms like, um, Zilli or Questen or anything like that. And then you created the quest by yourself so on your own, um, uh, website. Um, what, what was this initial strategy or like what, what was included in it? And why did you, you make the decision to keep it all in-house, let's say? Yeah, we kept it in-house for a really simple reason is the flexibility of what we can create. So if we go to any of those other platforms, we're limited on what we can do and how we do it. Not to mention there's a thousands of other people there. Um, so we wanted to have extreme flexibility to do whatever we wanted. We wanted to be able to add points in lots of different ways. Um, and so I have a team of about, I guess, a 10 um, so I've got, you know, two developers on staff that I have that can help me build all this. And so we built it all, we have the tech to do it. Um, and so we did it. Um, so it's a great showcase of our technology as well as allowing us to do things that just would not be possible otherwise. And, and that I think is the big key is the omni-channel nature of being able to break quests out across every digital channel and then have all those things still be tied together. So you've got full decentralization of your quests. That then allows us to have quests in email, allows us to put quests in Discord, allows us to put quests on Twitter, allows us to put quests wherever we want them to engage people in a very deep manner across lots of different channels. So it, that's kind of the reasons why we chose to do that was we had the ability to be more flexible. Uh, we could showcase our own technology um, and then allowed us to do it in an omni-channel format, which was not very possible in any other format. This does make a lot of sense, not, not that you're explaining it this way, but I think at the same time, it's a bit risky, right? Because if it doesn't pick up <laughs> and you don't have the exposure that like other platforms have to like kind of put your, your project forward, um, it's a bit of a risk. It, it's a bit of a risk there, right? Sure. It paid off though. Of course. Um, who is your, uh, who, who is uh, in your target audience? Yeah, who's in our target audience? We have really two types of people in our target audience at this stage. You've got, any time a project is in the stage, they really have two types of audience. One is you have someone that can help you make noise. Um, so you need to be able to, to leverage an audience to help you essentially showcase that you, to make noise, right? And so this is really one of the core elements of our audience. And so some people might call them airdrop hunters, or they may, may call them early advocates or early members. Um, that's one of the, the target audiences that we have uh, because they do tasks for you. 
um, with the goal of earning points um, for earning future rewards. Um, and so that's kind of a key market for us. The second is developers building. Um, and so you use one to attack the, to attract the other. And so you have the ability to use one to create a lot of noise and very specific types of noise. And then two, you then have the ability to then use those people to attract your second audience, which is your developers and builders. Um, another question I have was regarding uh, your budget. I know you, you mentioned that you didn't have any budget, right. uh, but at the same time, I think it included somehow some sort of budget or um, did you pay anybody or did you pay in any way or was it all your internal, um, uh, how do you call that? Um, or like just paying your, your own team to, to kind of do the work? It was all in-house. Uh, so the entire project was in-house. We have design in-house, we have development in-house, um, and we have strategy in-house. So we didn't pay anybody. We didn't pay any platforms. We looked at, initially we looked at, you know, influencer agencies of, you know, like getting some specific influencers to talk about us and maybe that would help. Um, that was a cost of, they quoted us, I think $50,000. Um, and we decided not to do that. Um, so we just didn't, didn't need it. Things just took off. Um, and then they, they went viral very quickly. And what you'll realize is in these communities is if, if you have those elements, if you are trusted, if you have a clear path, if you have technology that people believe in, there's not a ton of projects that check all those boxes. And so there is a demographic across the world who is looking to engage in these different projects. And if you can check those boxes and showcase those things, you can get those people. They talk to each other. And, and what we realize is like, there's a lot of mechanics behind the scenes. And so sometimes we may think of, and, and we'll use the term airdrop hunters. We may think of them as not very sophisticated or not good or don't have a lot of value. It's actually the quite, quite the opposite. They have a massive amount of value. They are real people in the world who are taking actions on behalf of somebody and they will do what you ask them to do. And so when you can realize and unlock that potential, um, it's a whole nother aspect of community marketing that this, the web three world has shown it's how powerful this collective can, can be. I've never seen communities in any other area of business ever be able to grow this quickly and become this fast. I mean, we have almost 400,000 people in discord. That's not the number that matters. What the number that matters is how many people engage on a daily basis inside of discord Our daily engagement numbers are hundred X of many other projects that are large, well-known projects. So it's not just that you have to get them. You've got to keep them engaged on a daily basis. And so then that means there's got to be a, a very deep discord strategy, a lot of community strategy. So this is not simplistic on, on any level. It's extremely complex to pull off a campaign like this because you've got to have great community dynamics. You've got to have moderators. We were able to get moderators from the community and build them up and train them. We built training programs, we built advocacy programs. We built all these different types of programs to kind of set these things up. So it, it's not super simplistic. So anybody that just puts up a quest campaign, it's never going to succeed. Like it's, a, these have to be very deep campaigns. And the cost of question of cost is, we have all this in-house, and so that's how we afford it. Um, but we've not had to pay any external um, influencer. We never created an ad. Um, this has all been 100% organic. Um, how long have you been working on this campaign prior to the launch of it? Uh, we started, I'd say, probably two months. We, we worked on it for two months before we launched it, uh, so kind of getting everything tight and ready. And then the rest has been constant iteration. Like We literally are testing and learning 
every moment. So, you know, we've got two standing meetings a week. We rehash what is happening. What do we need to do? What do we need to change? What are we going to do next? Uh, and then we'd launch. And so that's been extremely successful. Um, so, you know, the last big thing we did was launch the smart cat game. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people that believed in our technology, but we wanted them to be able to see our technology in their hands. So there's, there's different elements of our tech. One element of our tech is just to simply make life easier and UX, right? So to combine the web two and the web three worlds and with our smart pass, they have that, right? So step one, when you sign up to be a member in our community, you get our tech in our hands, but there's another tech called executable NFTs that we created, which allows NFTs to become applications and that allows them to become applications and fire like applications and wallets and in web two worlds. And we wanted them to experience this firsthand. So we then created a game called the smart cat game. And we allowed our community to mint these out. And so they minted out 900,000 of these, 930,000 to be exact, on Polygon. And then we released two weeks later that that was actually a game. And that game is a Tamagotchi-style game where the token is the game. It doesn't require to adapt to play. It is the application itself. You can open it inside of a wallet and play it inside of a wallet. You can even go on OpenSea. We've integrated OpenSea, and you can see the game inside of OpenSea through the tokens. And so that then allowed those folks to then actually experience that firsthand uh, through that community. And then, like I said, that game now is when the last 20 days it's been live, it's put over a million transactions on Polygon, which is account. It's accounting for more than 3% of Polygon's daily transaction activity currently. That, that's pretty insane though. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, what are some platforms that you, you've used and you thought like performed quite well? Because I'm guessing like you just, you didn't just put the quest on your website. You, you use like, third parties, like, I don't know, Twitter, um, or any other like third party social media. Yeah. I mean, the, the only social channels we use, we use discord and we use Twitter. We use Twitter as a mass communication methodology and we use discord as the community hub. Um, and we use email very, 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 very sparsely. Um, so we have everyone's email. However, we don't really use that as a communication channel. Uh, most all communications happen inside of Discord. Um, and so that's kind of how we keep Discord really alive, is making sure that the quests are in there, the points are in there, um, announcements are in there. And that's kind of how we keep the community alive and thriving. Um, did partnerships play any role in achieving your goal by any chance? Didn't mention anything about it, but yeah. So the the way that we see partnership partnerships didn't really drive traffic for us. Uh, partnerships do something very different for us. So once you have a community, to keep the community alive, what you have to do is constantly show them progress and value. We call this a credibility layer, right? So there's the trust layer, which we built, which is we've been building since 2017. We've done this. We've worked with these people. There's a trust layer. Once you've got the trust layer set, the next layer is the credibility layer. And the credibility layer is constantly proving that you're doing things in the market. And so that's where our partnerships came in. So we've got a list of about 50 different partners that, that have used our technology from Amazon to Microsoft all the way down. And we then talked about those partnerships. And so those then would allow us to then reinforce to the community, this project is working, this project is engaging with these folks, this is the credibility, and that's where we use partners. It, it wasn't for that. The other aspect of where we've used partners is on Twitter spaces. And so our community shows up to our Twitter spaces. When we put on a Twitter space, on average, we have about 3,000 people tune in. Um, and 3,000 people tuning into a Web3 Twitter space in a bear market is pretty insane. And so that's also because it's point incentivized. We have the ability to say, hey, listen, community, if you show up and engage in this, we can then reward you with points. Once again, omni-channel, the ability to do that in multiple different facets 
to make that flywheel turn. And just so everyone knows what I'm talking about, the flywheel, for every one person that I incentivize to join my Twitter space, three more show up, right? So just let that sink in, right? So for one that I put in there and I say, hey, listen, if you come, I'll give you a hundred points. That means that that then drives enough visibility for three more people because that puts us at the top of all of the Twitter spaces. That puts us as the number one Web3 Twitter space happening at that time. Um, and then that then drives further engagement. So that's really where we use partners is to allow us to then have conversations with novel technologies to help showcase to our community, like here's other projects, here's other things you want to know about. Um, and at the same time, uh, we then worked with those. And now we're going back and then going and bringing our community to other partners' Twitter spaces. So if our partners want to say, hey, listen, we want to have a really big Twitter space and have a great conversation, we can then bring our community over. Uh, and so that's really kind of where we're using the partners. But it, it, really, this has been a 100% organic campaign. So from what I understand from you, Twitter spaces were also part of your quest, let's say. Did I get it correct? Correct. And then the second question I had here was regarding, like, did you guys use anything related to, um, or did your users get any points for inviting other people or like their friends in the community or? or yeah. Quests? So we had a referral program. Um, so we had two different methods of referral program. The first we tested was simply just email, um, where you just, you know, put an email in. And then the second we moved to a referral code it was much safer. Um, to simply have a referral code so you didn't have people just posting their email addresses randomly all over the internet. Um, and so that was kind of how we've landed. Uh, we also cap it out. So you just don't have unlimited invites. Um, most people only get 25 invites. Uh, we unlock that for larger people that are very specific, such as we have, you know, if a KOL wants to join and they would say, we want to invite lots of our community, we can allow that to happen. Um, but most time it's locked down to 25 people that you can invite. I mean, like 25, I think it's, it's still quite a lot of people uh, that, you can, that you can invite, let's say. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think it, it, it kind of fuels a lot the, the growth of the community. So I think that's, that's quite cool. Um, something else I wanted to ask was regarding the, um, making that kind of manual work towards um, compared to like um, automatic or automated campaigns. How was it in your case? How much was it manual work? How much was it automated? Um, I mean, so we, we don't use any marketing automation, right? There's no if, then, then that logic in, in any of our stuff, such as if you don't engage with something, we don't have any type of automated campaigns to fire. So pretty much all of our campaigns are, I would say, based on that definition, manual. Now, we also then use lots of different things so that, you know, we use AI, in very specific use cases. Like here's a really good use case. If you are asking your community to tweet something out and you have a sizable community, those people are literally only going to do the bare minimum. They're going to click the bare minimum button of energy required to, to complete that quest, which means if you ask them to tweet a thing, they will all tweet the exact same thing. Or if you ask them to tweet something and don't prompt them, they will just do LFG or GM. And that doesn't do anybody any good. Right, like you just don't want hundreds and thousands of like LFGs because it, it doesn't do anything. So we use AI to prompt folks. We say, hey, listen, like we will help you write your tweets, and we use AI to do that. So that's how we have the ability to essentially go in and take over any Twitter, any hashtag we want. So if I want to trend for a hashtag, I can go and automate my, I can turn my community on, combine that with AI, and then I can automatically then within a week create 
200,000, 300,000 unique tweets that come from actual people um, that, uh, that get us to the exact point that we want to be put into the market. So we can help them shape the, the wording. We can do all kinds of things. Um, so we use AI in that aspect, but it's still not an automation. Something I wanted to ask was regarding quests again, because I, I know you mentioned like several types of quests that you've uh, you've employed, but I wanted to ask like if you can maybe share a number, um, if that's not confidential about like above roughly how many quests did you have in this campaign? And something else I wanted to ask you was regarding quests in general. Do you think like the campaign would have worked if it, if it wasn't for this incentive? Um, and I'm also asking you this because I, at ETCC this summer, people have been talking a lot about quests in general. I know Questa and Zilli and any other platform like this, like they still work. They're still getting a lot of funding and so on. So, but sometimes I feel like it's not like the best way to, to keep people engaged. Even if in your case, it seems like it wasn't really the case, people are still engaged. They got, they got your NFT, they're, they're playing the game right now. They're, they're transacting quite a lot as well. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's lots of questions. Let's start with the first question. Uh, so the first question was how many quests? Uh, we don't have a number. Um, so the way that we look at quests are, there are so many different types of ways to earn points uh, and so many different things that we do on a regular basis that there's not a number of quests. Like we break quests out into macro and micro. Macro being it's an official quest. You can go to a central place and you can, you can do it, right? So in that format, there's probably eight or 10 um, but then once you go inside Discord, there are literally tons of different ways that you can earn points. Um, if you go to different channels, there's different ways that you can engage and earn points. So we don't have like a number. The point here is that if you have a set number of quests, doesn't matter, whatever that number is, people will do them instantly all at once. It's called a batch. They will batch to this action and then they'll move on. So if you don't continuously every day have new places and new ways for them to earn points, they simply won't come back. And so what we've done is we've essentially enabled our moderators to give points to people so that it's not even a quest. It's just like, hey, listen, you did something great in this channel today. I'm going to give you 50 points. Um, and so you need to come up with lots of different ways to keep people engaged to earning points on a regular basis. Um, so you have to like move past this idea of just strict quests to how can we essentially allow people to earn points on the fly in a very flexible way? Um, and how do we allow people to, to give points away? Um, and so that's kind of what we've done is, is move beyond just this concept of a set number of quests to really a, a very flexible way of earning points inside of our community. But before like you, you answer the, the, uh, the, the next question or like the, the second question that I asked, um, do you, what did this point like do for, for the users? Like did it give them access to what? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's a couple of things. One, it gives them a status inside of the community. And so it gives them more greater access. We also are planning on having a token release uh, sometime, probably the January, February. Um, and so they're, they're engaging because we will be rewarding our early community members in some way, shape or form. Um, and so they're, they're engaging for that as well. Okay, fair. And the second uh, question I asked initially was like, do you think quests still work in Web3? And do you think the campaign would have taken off without it? Yeah, I think quests 100% work in, work in Web3. Where most people, here's the thing, every channel will work for somebody, right? The first time someone comes out and uses any type of a media channel, they always have the greatest success because they have a, the lowest amount of competition on that channel. As soon as you have a high number of, comp, a lot of people doing things, you have a lot of competition, and then results tend to, to trend down. 
right? But that doesn't mean those channels are bad or those things are bad. What you realize is most people just suck at, at what they're doing, right? So if you only put up five quests and you expect that to drive the same results that we have, you never will. Um, these are like, you, you have to really dive in and really put a lot of effort into these campaigns. Like I said, I've got a team of 10, right? Who's essentially running a lot of this stuff and doing these things behind the scenes. We've got moderators that, that aren't even on our team that are part of our community that have signed up. We have probably 20 different moderators, one for every country inside of our uh, community, right? So there's a lot of work there. So Quest totally work. I also think Quest will move beyond just Web3. I think questing will will transition into the Web2 world, right? We've seen advocacy and we've seen influencer marketing. We've seen user-generated content. I fully believe that, you know, in the future, if we are thinking about marketing in a slightly different way, most marketing works this way. I brand, take a bunch of money. I then pay either advertising platforms or media channels. I throw money at marketing. I throw a lot of money at marketing. It's the number one expense for any business. So why wouldn't we just essentially say, why can't I pay people directly to do these actions? And if you see that we have people, and we currently call them airdrop hunters, but what you really have is you have people across the world who live in places where $10 a week is a significant sum of money. That's it. That could be a week's worth of wages in some of the countries that you have a lot of people coming from. They're still real people, and they will still do real human actions for you. There's a, a service called Mechanical Turk from Amazon years ago that tried to solve this exact problem, which is things that only humans can do. How do we organize them together? Questing allows you to unlock human capital from around the world to do things that only humans can do. And so I think that's why questing is powerful. I think most people just don't understand how to do it. And they think that it's super simplistic. I just put up a quest and people do it and they don't understand the nuances of it. I, I don't see that any different than email. Everyone has email. Not every email campaign is great. In fact, 99% of them suck. For sure. I think like my question wasn't regarding, wasn't necessarily connected to the fact that like, does it work or not? Even if like, I think like what you just said, like makes a lot of sense. And I think it was very important to mention, um, was more regard, was more connected to, to kind of the retention rate after the quests, because I think that's where most issues, uh, are. Probably oh not yes. That's the, yes. I'm following the question. So the question is if, if you've got a community that is all airdrop hunters, and then you have an airdrop. Post airdrop, what happens to that community? That community leaves. And so, because that's their point, right? And, and that is not a problem. That is by design, right? What you have to realize is if you are doing these quests and you are unable to move from that audience and unable to leverage that audience to reach the next audience that you need, then that's a failure on you and your campaign, right? So, like these people will do whatever you ask them to do. And you can get them to help you get to the next audience level. And that's just a part of this modern funnel. This, this is all this is. This is just a modern funnel. Right? The old funnel was you're going to create all this SEO content. And you're going to put all this stuff up on, on the internet. And it's going to be inbound marketing. And people are going to ask these questions and follow through those things. That can still hold true. You can still use these people to create that content. Right? So you just, we just have to realize that this audience has a very specific function and a very specific time frame. And then you have to be able to use them to get you to the next step. And if you don't, that's, they're, they're not going to be that next step. They're not developers. They're not going to be builders on your platform. They don't work at major corporations who are going to buy this stuff. Right? They're not going to be spending any money because they don't have any money. Right? So, so I don't see that that is a problem. I see that most people confuse their community with what their community actually is. 
Right? And so what you have to realize is like there are different stages to community. To me, this is stage one of building a long-term and successful community. And you cannot assume that those people stay around forever unless you can continue to give them value that they seek. And that value is monetary. Um, so as long as you can provide them with some type of a monetary return in the future, then you can. Hence where I see like GitHub, uh, excuse me, not GitHub, um, Gitcoin, right? It's just started essentially rolling out questing platforms where it's like, hey, listen, here's $10,000 up for grab this month. $10,000 is nothing for a company to spend on marketing in a month. That is a tiny fraction. However, for a lot of these folks, that is a significant sum of money. So I fully believe in the future, you're going to start watching people will have communities like this and they will stay their community because every other month they'll throw $10,000 into a pot and say, do these 50 things and take a slice of that pie or enter into a raffle, whatever dynamic they want to use. Um, but those folks are financially incentivized. And if we lose sight of that, then you don't understand how to, to, to leverage them. Um, what are some other metrics that you now care about, except, uh, except for the retention, obviously, and the engagement of these people on your Discord, for example? Yeah, well, I mean, right now, our biggest things are, are on-chain transactions, right? So we're using our community to essentially prove that our technology can drive more on-chain transactions than any other NFT project ever has, right? Right now, we're the number one NFT project, Smart Cats is the number one NFT project by transactions for Polygon. It's like the number four by transactions across all NFT projects. It's the number one game on Polygon. So by being able to put millions of transactions on chain, what Polygon told us was, hey, listen, PFP projects are cool, but a 10,000 PFP project doesn't do anything for us, right? There's not a lot of transactions. And so what we're really focused on is how do we essentially create new experiences that unlock the full potential of Web3, that allow people to engage through tokens, to put transactions on chain, and give people a reason to interact through a wallet. Um, so it's kind of a twofold thing. So we're looking at how many unique active wallets we are engaging. So right now it's about 40,000. And then how many daily active transactions we're putting out. I mean, right now we're putting out anywhere between 30 and 80,000 daily active transactions. It depends on the day. I mean, that's equated to over a million in the past 20 days. This is uh, this is quite good, very big numbers, and I think like my my audience is gonna like really love uh, listening to this. Um, I think it's a uh, it's probably one of the juiciest episodes we've had so far. Um, and I think like one of the one of the most one of the I don't know how to call can, it. Like, can we hit one thing? Let's hit one thing before we move to that, that topic. But uh, when I said omni-channel and points, the game that people play with that NFT those points are tied back to this whole system. It's all interconnected. People are playing the game because they're earning points, right? So like they'll, that is one of like the last key pieces is like, why would you play that game? It's a Tamagotchi style game. We didn't create the game to be a game. We created the game to showcase to the world, what can an X NFT do and, and what happens when NFTs can become applications and what happens when applications can fire inside of wallets without having to have dApps. It's like, that's what we're able to show with that. And by interacting with that, that community, again, is earning points in a whole nother way, once again, decentralized and connected back to, to their, their total points, right? So once again, like to get those big numbers, it's the same key principles, right? It's connected, it's easy, um, and, and you know, it's showing value. 
Um, well, thank, thank you for rectifying that. Uh, and I think I, I, I love that you brought this up because like, I think one of the most interesting questions we got uh, on social media from the audience was regarding like, because we've spoken a lot about like best practices and like what you, what you should do, like what you should follow. Um, but somebody asked like, what are the best practices to avoid? Uh, because uh, everybody says uh, this works, this doesn't work. And what are the 80, 20 levers to pull in the first 30, 60 and 90 days? Do you have an, wow. do you have an answer for that? <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, they can pay me a couple hundred grand to tell them all those things. Um, but like the, the reality is, is, is you're not going to know, right? So you have to test Like the basics are going to be true, but past the basics, you're just going to have to do a lot of testing and learning because every community is going to be different. Number one is make sure it's very easy for people to engage in your community. So in the first 30 days, you need to make extreme, extremely easy and you need to make sure that the trust layer is already built. If your trust layer is not built, there's no reason for people to engage, right? Remember their time is their money. And so if they don't feel that investing their time into your project is worthwhile, they won't do it. So you have to cross that barrier first. That means you've got to have all your socials dialed in. That means you've got to have your website be professional. It means your team, they have to have belief that your team can execute. That means you've got to have successes that you've shown or some really hot shit technology that people just are really in love with. There's got to be a hook there, right? So that's got to be key. Number one is there's got to be some proof in the pudding. Number two, it's got to be extremely easy, right? So don't, you know, put these things in all these different quest platforms, make people go to all these places, keep it very consistent, keep it very clear. And then have micro quest and micro quest, macro and micro quest. Macro being like, here's the basic things that everybody does, and then bring them inside of Discord or whatever channel you want to use. And then have a very built out, very robust system that onboards them, lets them know where you want them to go, directs them what they need to do, and then allows them to earn points in lots of different ways. Um, next is you need to make sure you have a very well moderated community. Like our community moderation is is some of the best I've ever seen. Like our ability to keep so many people engaged. I think right now it's like 40,000 people engage every other day um, inside of our Discord community. That is a massive amount of people engaging in a Discord. You can look at Discords with millions of people that have fractions of that. Um, so like you just need to make sure that you have really good systems of engaging. And then the last is omni-channel, making sure that there's there's something new and there's different places and that those things drive to other things. And the rest you just have to figure out on your own. And the rest is just a test and learn scenario. Um, and we test and learn, launch new things uh, all the time. And if they work, we continue them. If they don't, we don't do them anymore. So that, I think that's the best you can go is just test and learn. Um, before I forget, can people still join your community if they want to or join your yeah. quest? Yeah, you can still go ahead. Um, so go to smartlayer.network, uh, get yourself a smart pass, and you can go through those quests, join the Discord, and you can go see those. The next biggest way to earn your points would be to get a smart cat and play the smart cat games. Um, right now that we've got a raffle going on. So every Friday over the next five Fridays, we'll be raffling off a cool cat uh, to the folks that are playing the cool ca uh, the smart cat game. Um, so there's lots of different incentives to win uh, and to, to earn. Perfect. Um, and before we wrap it up, can you maybe, because, because I'm sure like you've maybe have used like a ton of uh, tools so far, what is your favorite tool or like, are there any tools in web three or even in web two, probably web three would be best or any other resources that you think anybody should know about? I mean, no, I mean like we really don't use a lot of tools outside of just the ones that we actually have built. 
I mean, we don't, you know, we use some basic dashboarding tools. We use, you know, Datadog, we use Google Analytics, we use uh, Dune, um, you know, we're using Discord. Past that, a lot of this is just our own. Like, we've just built it out. Like, even our own email system we built out, right? Because we're engineering shops, so we build a lot of stuff. Um, so, there's not a lot of, like, cool tech that we, we've, uh, we've uncovered. It's just we built it all. Okay. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at M Sweezy on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn at Matthew Sweezy on LinkedIn. Uh, and then our corporate handle is smart layer on Twitter. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for for this almost an hour that, of talking to me. I think it's great. It's been a great episode. Looking forward to maybe talking to you in a couple of months to see if you've uh, launched any other game. Maybe once you've uh, you launched your token and we can talk about it again. Um, but until then, um, that's soon. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to our Out of Ordinary podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to hear more content like this, then open up the podcast app and click on the follow or subscribe button. It takes less than five seconds and is the single best thing you can do to support the show and stay up to date to more marketing strategies that are being used in the Web3 space.